Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hey, Amber. Hey, Callie. So it's been a wild, wild week. It's been wild as fuck. It feels like it's been an underworld journey. Well, I think that makes sense. I'm feeling real Persephone vibes lately. And, you know, she's still in the underworld, not yet coming out for spring. So I'm feeling that. Yeah. I I generally don't get super excited about spring. I get so excited about fall and the dark months. But this year... I just can't wait for the sun. It's shining right now a little bit after the snow we had this weekend, and it's really nice. That wild-ass snow. I mean, I know that everybody all over the country has been dealing with a sudden snowstorm, and, like, oh, folks in Texas are struggling so hard, and, you know, we are not forgetting about you down there. But I think we are all really ready for spring this year, especially after being inside for a year. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, it's wild that it's been, it's been like a year now. It's it's so hard to believe it's been a year. And then it's also like, like from both angles, right? It's hard to believe because that feels quick and hard to believe because that feels long. That time as a construct is just in the shitter right now. And it's totally liminal. Time dilation is so real. Mm-hmm. So, Callie, what are we what are we going to talk about today? What are we here to grace our listeners' ears with? Bitch, come on! This is your episode. Let me ask you, Amber, what are we here to talk about today? We're going to talk about selkies. Because <laughs> if you <laughs> if you're following my Instagram, then you know that I'm very excited about selkies. So we are going to talk about the Selkie myth. We're going to talk about mythology generally. And we're going to talk about why the Selkie myth is transforming my life right now. We're also going to announce an exciting new offering that we have, but that's later in the episode. So Amber, I know that I feel like you've been into Selkies for a while, but I feel like it really started to crest when you got your DNA results and found out that you were mostly Irish and you found out that Selkie and Irish folklore has something to do with the like, I forget what it's called, but like the dark haired Irish person is thought mm-hmm. Selkie blood and you have really dark hair and dark brown eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is when I started to become interested in Selkie. I had seen I had seen um, Song of the Sea uh, maybe a year before, and really loved it and thought it was beautiful. And I remembered that movie the day that I found out about my uh, lineage, so I rewatched it. And it was such an emotional day. I found out we were cousins. I found out this like long awaited. Um, information, like, where am I from? Where are my people from? I mean, I'm from the United States, but where are my people from? Like, Mm. where do I come from? So I was in this really heightened emotional state and I was laying in bed feeling really tingly, really 
um, hyper aroused, but not in the way that we usually talk about hyper arousal. Like I was just really, really excited, um, rewatching Song of the Sea and crying and then really slowing down and noticing the mythology of the Selkie while I was watching it. And I was watching it from a different perspective at that point. Mm -hmm. So then I started to get really excited and started to read and then read more and then watch more movies and then read more and then, um, purchase art with Selkie, uh, spend time by the ocean, trying to see seals, which I have been very successful at. And, also just imagining Selkie and kind of working with them in a witchcraft way. Mm, I love that when you get a wild hair, you really go with it. It always inspires me to do the same. You know, I've been watching you do that with, I mean, so many things over the years, but what I admire most is that you get really into something, you go for it and then it continues to unfold. Um, that has given me so much permission and like a reminder to do that for myself too. So with your adventuring into Selkie land, you know, I've been adventuring into my own special interests, but those are for a different episode. This is about <laughs> your seal brethren and sistrin and sibthrin. <laughs> All of it, the SEAL family. Um, you know, and before we get more concretely into the Selkie myth, I want to give our listeners just a little bit of information about uh, the usefulness of myth and why it matters. Because I became interested as in myth as a um, an aspect of psychological processing in grad school. There's a context that allowed for Selkies to even be important to me, right? So it was years ago that I read The Uses of Enchantment by Bruno Bettelheim. It's a mouthful. There we go. <laughs> I know it sounded like Brutal Bettelheim. Brutal Bettelheim, the great okay. psychologist. <laughs> So he wrote about the meaning and importance of fairy tales and how they came to represent internal processes. He said, the unrealistic nature of these tales, which narrow-minded rationalists object to, is an important device because it makes obvious that the fairy tale's concern is not useful information about the external world, but the inner process taking place in the individual. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. My little writer heart just thump-thumped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joseph Campbell, another big theorist, he wrote The Power of Myth and The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He took Jungian psychology and really expanded um, that whole way of thinking that that story and myth are like the greatest work of a human because they represent internal processes of enlightenment, essentially. And he said, mythology is not a lie. Mythology is poetry. It is metaphorical. It has been well said that mythology is the penultimate truth, penultimate because the ultimate cannot be put into words. It is beyond words. Myth as a way of telling a story about something that's happening inside of us. Historically, storytelling is a really, really important device, right? I mean, it does all sorts of things for us. It allows us to pass down intergenerational knowledge. It's a primal form of communication. It celebrates collaboration and connection and grief, death, right? Birth, all of these really important things. And also humans think in story, Humans are best able to retain information if it's told to them in a story, 
So that's part of why like news media works really well. They're telling a story. That's all they're doing is they're storytelling, right? And then we're able to really internalize that information. Whereas if it was just um, like a bullet point, you know, like list of facts about things that happened, we, we probably wouldn't really retain it in the same way. Right. Right. Stories provide structure and order. Um, and they're just kind of, again, like part of how we're wired. It's, it's just the way that our brain works is to make everything into story. So we can use that to our advantage by looking at myth and finding myths that we resonate with and see how they mirror our internal processes. I feel like so much of paganism, occultism, all of the things that we get all juicy about, I feel like it all really does revolve around storytelling, which makes a ton of sense. You know, hearing you talk about why we as humans cling to it so much, we want everything to make sense. We're always trying to make stuff make sense. And so if we can connect some dots, that's why we're all so drawn to metaphors and poems and songs because we want to feel like all of the terrible things that happen make sense and all of the good things that happen happen for a reason because then there's some like, I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit of a control mechanism. You know, if we can tell the way the story is being told, if we can declare a happy ending or something, then it's like, oh, well, it was meant to be this way all the time. And you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It helps us make meaning. It's often said that... Depression is an absence of meaningfulness or an absence of meaning in someone's life or your ability to access meaning is diminished because of depression, right? So I like to think of meaning making as this way that we can sort of level ourselves out, right? So if something really difficult has happened in our life and we have a way to make sense of it, we have a story that we can tell about it, mm -hmm. then we're more able to integrate that information, right? And use it and move forward. Yeah. I feel like that's also really a lot of the point of therapy. And at the same time, you know, in my own experience as a patient with an amazing therapist who I adore, part of the work has been saying like, <laughs> okay, but life is just a random assortment of good and bad. And at the end of the day, there is no meaning. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm a, I'm an optimistic nihilist. <laughs> um, but you know, when I bring that up, whenever it comes up for me, when I'm in those depressed states and I say like, but it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Like, yeah, good things are going to happen again, but bad things are going to happen too. My therapist is great about saying, yeah. And you're going to be even more prepared for the bad things when they happen again, it's going to be easier next time. Mm-hmm. And that's a story. Yeah, right? I suppose a, it is. Yeah, yeah, to learn about yourself. I, I hear you. I, I think both are true. I think everything matters and nothing matters. To me, it's like the meaning that we give it. And that's to me also mm. why magic works in my life is because I understand that nothing matters and that everything matters. So it's up to me to decide what the meaning of that is. Like no one can do that for me. 
They can't. There's even a whole form of therapy called narrative therapy out of Australia, which is very impactful. It's not my training or background, but I had a little bit of training in it in grad school. Super cool. The idea is that the way that someone is storying their experience, how they're making sense of the things that happen is part of the problem, is mostly the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, So helping them restory is really important. Mm-hmm. I think that there are limits to that. There, you know, there are some pretty sure. objective ways in which someone's story is valid, regardless of their storying of it. Abuse is, is abuse is abuse, right? As I trip mm-hmm. over my words, um, but a narrative therapist wouldn't invalidate the abuse and say, "Oh, that was only a problem for you because of the story you have attached to abuse." Right. They would validate that and then help you restory the way that you respond to your symptoms post abuse. Right? That you are resilient. The idea is to help someone reimagine themselves as a superhero, basically, as someone who can handle shit. And I notice that when I feel that way about myself, yeah, I really am able to do that. I can't always restory, but sometimes. I can, and it works. I feel like that lends itself really well to this subject because I know that for you, the Selkie has been a restoring device and really almost like, almost like you get to put on your Selkie skin. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me about the Selkie and then I will try. Oh, (laughs) So, you know, before we did this episode, I was like, I'm going to find a Selkie fact that you don't know because you know so much about them. And when you told me you wanted to do a Selkie episode, I was like, hell yeah. What do I have to bring to it though? So I think that, uh, let's have you describe what a Selkie is for those who don't know, cause we haven't yet. And we're already 15 minutes in. <laughs> And then after you describe them, so you got to keep it succinct. Okay. I will tell you the one thing that maybe you don't know, but you probably do know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Tell me what a Selkie is. (laughs) In Norse and Celtic mythology, Selkies or sea folk are mythological beings capable of theanthropy, changing from seal to human form by shedding their skin. They are found in folktales and mythology originating from the northern islands of Scotland, but not limited to Scotland. They're also from Orkney Islands, Shetland Islands, Icelandic folklore, and Ireland. They're sea people. Okay. And the short description is that they're seals who can shed their skin, walk on land, and then Mm -hmm. if when they find their skin and go back in the sea, that's it. They can walk on land one time. Yeah. It depends. It depends on the myth because there's different Mm -hmm. versions of how often they can be on land, the frequency of which, but yeah, exactly right. That they can take off their seal coat and they'll, their pelts and they can leave it on the beach and they can experience the land as a human. Mm. They're also supposed to be like super hot. Oh, yeah. No, they're fucking beautiful. And you have silky women, silky men, like all sorts of silky. It is a predecessor or maybe not even predecessor. What's the name for something that runs parallel? I don't know. But they're not mermaids, but they're in the same kind of world. In Irish folklore, they're part of the she or the fae. So they're part of the other world beings. I, in my reading, I saw that they are considered related to mermaids, but they're much kinder and more compassionate. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and like selkies who fall in love with humans will have a genuinely loving experience with them, but they will never love anything more than being part of the sea. So, all right. The one thing, my one fact, (laughs) (laughs) um, so it was thought or it is thought, I suppose, because who knows these myths probably still play out commonly in some parts of the world. If a baby is born with webbed hands and feet, those are called selkie paws. And oh, did, oh, did you do you not know this? I yet? didn't know that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, according to one 19th century Orkney folklorist, Walter Trail Dennison, he documented the case of one family whose children were all born with selkie paws, and all of them. In multiple accounts, they weren't just webbed, but they also had what was described as a horn-like crust on the palms of their hands and feet. And that is the end of my fact. But I'm so excited (laughs) I found something you didn't know. (laughs) Good job. No, I didn't know that. I had heard about the uh, webbed hands and feet and if the child is uh, dark-haired and dark-eyed, but I had not heard silky paws. Nice job, Callie. Thank you. (laughs) Ah, win. The Virgo has achieved. I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. And it's so cute. (laughs) Silky paws. I know. It almost makes up for the disgusting qualifier of horn-like crust. (laughs) Horn-like crust starring Amber and Callie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just when I don't scrub my feet with a pumice stone for too long. Truly. Truly. Yeah. It's it's part of being a grown-up, you guys. You got to Got to pumice your feet. Um, okay. Your selkie paws. <laughs> your selkie paws. So other other things about selkies. Um, so most of the mythology that I've found really concentrates on the archetype of the selkie wife. So mm-hmm. a woman who is so beautiful that she catches the eye of a fisherman usually, and he takes her pelt, he takes her sealskin so that she cannot return to the sea. And that's the agreement, is that if someone gets her skin, then she has to belong to them. But as you said before, the problem with that is after a few years, right, she's going to start to get really lonely. And so you know it's a selkie woman because she is dark-haired, and she's standing by the sea, and she's just looking forlorn. She just wants to go home, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, um, especially in Scotland and in the Faroe Islands, which, by the way, has a beautiful statue on the beach of a selkie um, shedding her skin. I really want to see it Mm. if we can get up to Scotland. Um, but yeah, mostly it was this, you know, the archetype of this like unhappy wife, like a woman who wanted to return to the sea. What else? I have a story to tell, but I want to get more silky facts in there. Um, Mm -hmm. I have read that some believe that silky were spirits of people who had committed suicide and had been cast into the sea and reborn as seals. I have read that they think that it's possible that silky myth comes out of, um, people in Scotland seeing Inuit women who would wear like pelts and sealskins oh. and all sorts of things. Right. Or that it was from, um, Spaniards who literally washed up on the shore 
because the Spanish um, did some colonizing and some having of babies in the British Isles. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of dark haired people because of that. So they think that that might be some of the origins of where Silky Myth came from. Um, Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, right? That there might be some like really historical stuff happening there that explains Mm -hmm. why the myth was born. Yeah. I've heard that if there's a particularly skillful fisherman or a lucky fisherman, he's likely the child of a Selkie. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I think I've come across that too. Um, Gosh, there's so much because it's, it's such an old myth. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to tell my favorite one. And this is really the one that, that nabbed me. Okay. So this comes out of Scotland. There are three brothers and they are fishing. They're out on their boat. They're doing some evening fishing and they, they come across a peninsula and they kind of, kind of turn around it. And as they're turning around the peninsula on the beach, they see three women naked, long, dark hair, dark eyes, and they're dancing around a fire. They're just enjoying themselves. The oldest brother gets really excited. He goes, oh, my God, I know what that is. Those are selkie. Those are selkie women. And you know the thing about selkie women is that if you take their pelt, they have to be your wife. There's three of them. There's three of us. Bros, we got wives. So, yes, I'm taking some artistic liberties with this retelling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, So they sail up and they get behind some rocks and they get a little closer. And the youngest brother looks upon one of the women and instantly falls in love. He's not so sure about the stealing of the pelt shit, but he sees a woman and and kind of locks eyes with her and is like really enchanted by her. Middle brother's along for the ride. So oldest brother gets his way. They take the pelts. They steal them. They get behind a rock and the sun starts to rise and the women are looking around for their seal skin and they can't find them and they're starting to get stressed out. Oldest brother comes out and he goes like, hey, we have your seal skins. You need to come with us. You're our wives now. And the selkie know that, yeah, truly they do. They have to go with these guys because this is the agreement. The men take their wives and they make homes and they have children. And the first few years are fine. The women settle into their new lives, but all three of them start to get unhappy. And the three selkie women will go to the ocean every day. They'll dangle their little feet in the shore. The bottoms of their dresses will get wet. That's another way that you know a selkie, a woman who has wet dress. Like the bottoms of her frills are wet from being in the sea. And and the men start to get kind of worried. They're stressed, right, knowing that their wives might leave. All three of them love their wives and they love their children. The oldest brother, his wife, she finds her pelt and she returns to the sea. And he is heartbroken. She finds it in a chest. She takes it back. She is like, bloop, in the water. She's gone. He is heartbroken. He is depressed. His life falls apart. And the middle brother, fearing that his wife will do the same, he takes her pelt out of the chest where he kept hers and he throws it into the fire. The problem is that she then also goes up in flames and is burnt alive. I know. I know. You can't destroy a selkie's pelt without destroying the selkie, it turns out. So the youngest brother knows what he has to do. He goes out to the ocean where he finds his wife standing on the shore again. And he asks her, like, tell me about the sea. What is it about the sea that that you want to return to? Like, you don't want to live on land with me and our children. Aren't you happy? And she goes, like, I love you and I love our kids, but that's my home. 
And she describes to him swimming with whales and ice caves and, and her community of other Selkie and how she feels most at home there. That's where she feels like herself. So he gives her her pelt back and he says, I love you and I want you to be happy. I want you to be in an environment that belongs to you. And he lets her return to the sea. So, of course, he's sad. He's so sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he lost his wife. He loved her. And nine days after, he's walking along the shore at night and he looks out and he sees her. She's coming up out of the ocean and he meets her on the shore and he's like, you came back. What's going on? Oh, my God, you're back. And she says, well, you loved me enough to, like, let me go be myself. So every nine days, I'm going to come back to the, to the land, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to live my life with you in the sea and also on the land mm. because you understand me, because you know me, right, because you see me. And they live the rest of their lives together. She mostly is in the sea because that's where she belongs. But there's long stretches of time where she'll be on land. There's even times where he goes into the sea with her. There's some that say that he turned into her sulky husband. Mm. And they live the, re the rest of their lives very happily. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I read so many myths and... I didn't come across that one. All of the myths that I read, you know, would say like the story of the Selkie is always a heartbreaking one. There is no happy ending for a Selkie. Mm -hmm. So that's a really lovely story. I know. I, I mean, the symbolism there is beautiful, right? To really someone let them go. Yeah. And let them be themselves. Let them mm -hmm. be in the environment that feels best to them. Yeah. And then we get to, like, the symbolism there. What does the sea symbolize? So many things. So much purification. So mm -hmm. much emotion. Mm -hmm. Also, it's an entirely different world, you know? It's a world within a world. And the, the Selkie, something I love about them is that they walk in both. Mm -hmm. They're these kind of like, I think you said it in the beginning of the episode, primordial, kind of these primordial creatures who get the existence of being, you know, an overly evolved ape with existential crises and <laughs> also these beautiful sea creatures who get to swim through ice caves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, water symbolizes emotion, right? Think about tarot, the cups. Mm -hmm. It's about what they hold. It's about the water they hold. So I, that story just made me cry. Um, I heard an audio retelling of it. It comes from a lock. Oh, geez. I can't pronounce the word, but I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. It's a lock in Scotland. Lock, Dewin, um, some such thing about the three brothers. I couldn't find a ton on it, but I did find the full story and really fell in love with it. Anyway, um, back to the symbolism. <laughs> to me, it's like um, a woman can return to her emotional world. Like the sea represents the unconscious. It, it represents mm -hmm. the unknown. It represents the feminine. It represents... Um, um, God, your fucking feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, I need to spend most of my time in my sea, my, mm -hmm. my symbolic sea, if not literal. 
I need to be literally close to the sea to feel well and happy. I was born by the sea. I reside by the sea now. And I need to be able to have access to my feeling. And I need a kind of love that can allow for that, allow for me to go between the worlds of the practical, the land, right? The earth, the material plane, and the emotional plane. It's Mm -hmm. about going between those thresholds back and forth. And that's what the Selkie does. I read once that those of us who feel extreme comfort in water often also come from a lot of trauma. There's this kind Mm -hmm. of strong sense of basically the safety of the amniotic environment. Um, And I identify with that super hard. I've always been called a water baby, you know, and I know that you and I have that in common. We go in the river or a lake and we're just there for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we both are also there metaphorically. You know, we have made our lives out of living in emotion and helping others learn how to wade through that as well. And you know who's great. (laughs) (laughs) You got me, bitch. Look at you getting the BetterHelp ad. I was already like, how am I going to, how am I going to get Callie with the BetterHelp ad? Therapists are so good at helping you wade through the waters of your deep, dark subconscious. I know I love my therapist. <laughs> you know what time it is. It's time for the BetterHelp ad. I was really excited. This was actually the very first sponsor that you and I reached out to mm-hmm. because we really wanted to build relationships with actual therapeutic tools into the podcast. One of the biggest struggles I have as a therapist is just wrestling with the inaccessibility of mental health treatment. So because BetterHelp can do therapy from their home and do it remotely, that means that people, you know, they don't have to go anywhere, which can actually be a thing. Like if you don't have a car or access, getting to a clinic can actually be difficult. Mm-hmm. So just the convenience of being able to be at home, I think is really important. And then that increases the possibility that people will actually utilize therapy. Yeah. I know that it has felt like a significantly lessened burden for me to be able to do therapy from home just on my phone. And I really hope that the world just gets more comfortable with virtual therapy in general because of where we're at in the world. I agree. And I think it's important that mental health consumers have the ability to have a say in who their provider is. As a therapist, I definitely, you know, I meet a new client and I'm like, well, you know, I don't think we're a good fit. So can I help you find someone who is? Or they tell me I'm not a good fit and that's fine. I think we really need to normalize that. And with BetterHelp, you can change anytime and choose a different provider if they're not a good fit for you. Because likely, you know, you might need to try on, you know, a few different kinds of providers before you find the one that's right for you. Having therapists who are capable of helping me with my specific needs and to say that they offer that worldwide is really cool to me Mm -hmm. really like the better help has financial aid available for people this is a long-term therapeutic process so this isn't a crisis line it's different than that it is not a self-help line it's different than that so it's a therapeutic relationship that needs to build consistently so that's what you can get 
And because BetterHelp is partnering with us, you can go to betterhelp.com slash pocket coven and you can actually get 10% off of your first month. If within that time you decide you don't like your therapist, you can, as Amber said, just easily switch to a different one. It's super accessible and it's betterhelp.com slash pocket coven. That will get you 10% off. It'll get us just a little bit of a kickback. So it's a great way to support the podcast and your well-being at the same time. So Amber, tell me about myth and its importance. Yeah. So content warning for anyone uh, who may not want to listen to information about my trauma background. I'm just going to put that in there. So I am interested in myth as trauma narrative because trauma narratives are helpful devices that you can create to support your trauma integration. When I say integration, I mean that traumatic experiences are not something that you can exercise out of you. It's not an exorcism. It's an integration. They need to actually be brought in closer and woven back into you. So that is a pretty painful and difficult process. And my experience as a therapist and as a traumatized person is that when we can give something what's called aesthetic distance, we can work with it a little bit easier. It's a little bit more accessible for people. So let me get into what I mean. Trauma narratives are often writing down uh, kind of very literally what happened to you. And that's great. Like that helps a lot of people. Exposure therapy is one of the ways that people do that. Like if they've been sexually assaulted, they write down the details of that assault over and over and over. They make recordings of it and listen to it. They tell the story as many times as they need to, to wear down their triggers and create new neural pathways that say, this is safe. You're integrating, you're safe. For some of us, that is not a process we want to engage in. I do not want to do exposure therapy and I also have a great need for it. Most people don't really want to write down word for word or describe word for word um, abuse that happened to them, especially sexual abuse. It's exhausting and um, activating to the nervous system in a way that isn't always safe. So working with things creatively, making a mask about your traumatized self. That's something I've done with clients and groups. Um, uh, artistically representing on stage your trauma narrative. I did that for several several years in the circus, which uh, you mentioned in our last episode. That representation of this of the trauma narrative, right? This thing happened to me. I'm expressing it creatively. Is is one way to tell your story without actually telling your story. <laughs> I would like to tell my full story one day. But that is not today. <laughs> that is, I am not there. I think eventually I will, but mine is so painful and exhausting for me to talk about that I, I'm just not there yet. So Selkie is a way that I am making sense of it. <laughs> and what that means is that I'm looking at the symbolism of the Selkie and I'm drawing parallels between what the Selkie does and what I did and, and what was done to me. So a lot of the Selkie myth is about taking away power. I see something that makes you you, your, your seal skin. The seal skin represents like personhood to me and I'm going to take that away from you. And for that amount of time, you are not yourself and you belong to me. 
So um, in my childhood, I was, I mean, first of all, I was obsessed with mermaids from jump. Like I've always been, like you said, a water baby. Um, gosh, wow. It's so hard to talk about this stuff. Uh, I, uh, would sit in the bathtub for hours while it turned cold and, and wait to become a mermaid. <laughs> um, I was obsessed with the movie Splash. I had this big poster of a mermaid on my wall. I mean, I'm talking like toddler forward mm-hmm. and, um, a few years after that, so I'd say five, six, seven, um, my mother's partner started sexually abusing me. And that sexual abuse was so frequent. The grooming process was years long. Um, and by the time he had a good routine established, it was a daily practice. And that was just how my life was, is just being molested all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, any moment of my life was uh, a possible trauma, right? If, if he had access to me, he was working on that. And to me, that was like having someone take my seal skin away, right? Like mm-hmm. having someone take my body away from me, take my personhood away from me, and take me away from the sea of my own emotions because being sexually abused um, is an experience of, oh, wow, I want to cry, is an experience of um, like at least for me, it was like an experience of, of death. It was like not being there because you slip into dissociative states. Like you just kind of numb out. So it was like, I wasn't alive. I, I didn't feel like a full human. I couldn't focus in school. I did very poorly in school. I didn't have quality of social relationships. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was a very lonely kid. When I got kind of bigger, when I was, um, more able to be out of the house. The abuse de-escalated a bit. I got a job when I was 15 just to be able to stay out of that house and kind of take some of that, um, that power back. But nothing I did really worked until I moved to the Olympic Peninsula, until I took all the resources I had and bought a car at a police auction for $1,400 and packed it full of my boyfriend and um, (laughs) um, some other people. It was a whole caravan of ridiculousness, but I got the fuck out of there. I ran away from home and um, I didn't really know where I was going. I just knew I needed to be by the sea. That's all I I knew. Like I was like this selkie without a pelt, without an environment Um, It had been taken from me and I needed to get my fucking pelt back. And so I came up to (laughs) the Olympics and our car broke down on the peninsula. That's how I ended up there. And I was like reunited with the sea once again, like, Mm -hmm. and with myself once again. And also that's not the end of the sulky narrative. I feel like I got that pelt back and then I've been giving that pelt to men throughout my life. Like, oh, here's my pelt. Here you go. You can fucking have it. Like, here's my body. Here's my effort. Here's my creativity. Here's my personhood. Here, have it. Like I've, right, over-invested in my romantic relationships in a way that took me further from myself, not not closer. Goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And as I near 40, I don't want to give my fucking pelt away anymore. I have it back. I definitely have my seal skin and I know I do. Um, 
I have a very sweet partner who sees me wearing it and doesn't really say anything about it. It's like, cool, she's in her seal skin. That's fine. You're going up to the peninsula again. Cool. Love you. Bye. And that's what I need right now. It's like Mm -hmm. a partner who just like lets me be in the ocean as much as possible, um, literally and figuratively, symbolically. And it, it does help that I found out about my Irish heritage and I feel like even more drawn to Selkie because of that, because that feels more like my story. Did you know even the Irish Selkie myth comes out of County Kerry, where all my ancestry mm. is concentrated, which is very cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So like the meaning is there just sort of inherently because of lineage. But my experiences of an, as an abuse survivor just to me parallel that process and then the ways in which because I'm a survivor and survivors do this, we, we give like way too fucking much to our romantic um, relationships. uh, And we often abandon ourselves within them because we're just trying to get loved. We're just trying to get loved. Like that's really important to us. Guilt is I feel bad about something that I've done. Shame is I am bad. And as a survivor, like that's the core belief that I'm struggling with and have struggled with my whole life is that I am bad. And if I am bad, well then why wouldn't I just give up my seal skin? Here you go. Take it. I'm bad. I don't deserve this anyway. So it's big fucking work in my life (laughs) to be working with the Selkie right now because that is about autonomy. That is about me choosing myself and it's really, really hard. I want to give everyone my seal skin and just sit on the beach, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, it's painful to wear it, actually. Yeah, so that's, that's my story. <laughs> wow. I mean, I obviously have this awareness that, you know, we're recording this. But I also, the whole time listening to you tell this story in what we know is going to be a public forum. Like you and I are having this conversation in private right now, but it's not going to stay private. Mm -hmm. I know that you had only told me the, the barest bone details, like that sexual assault had happened basically just that until maybe like two years ago and we were in your car and you just told me the whole story with more detail than what you've shared, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have done so much heavy work to be able to talk about that on our podcast, like the amount of time that you've spent in therapy on it, in your own life, working on it through so many things. I just, I'm so proud of you. And I love that you have found this story that feels welcoming and warming and magical because you deserve that and little baby amber and teenage amber really deserve to be magical little seal babies also (laughs) I just feel like your your reparenting work has been really beautiful to watch and I love that you are sharing with others the power of identifying with myth you know thank you It doesn't matter if seals never turn into people. That's not the point of Mm -mm. the myth. (laughs) The myth is that, you know, we are beings of two worlds and sometimes our identities get stripped from us and 
sometimes we can reclaim them. I mean, we always can, Mm -hmm. but it's not always very easy or accessible. Mm -mm. There is a concept called the um, sleeping awakening child, and it's the child that wasn't abused. So the concept is that prior to abuse, that child was very alive. And when abuse started, she just went to sleep. She just went to sleep. So you're waking her back up. Wow, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very great role to to bring in the idea that there's part of me that wasn't abused mm-hmm. is um, that is trauma resiliency. That is trauma integration. Like that's post-traumatic yeah. growth. I love that. That makes me think like, you know, the part of me that wasn't abused like I could be in that and then the part that was is it's not that it's not real but it's real in the same way a dream is real we do go through it but it's not happening currently what an empowering viewpoint yeah yeah I mean it's it's big work for survivors I feel definitely vulnerable putting this out because also like my clients like hear this often Uh a lot of my clients listen to this and some shit I have around being a survivor is that when other people hear about my history they feel like their trauma isn't valid and they can't say anything Uh about it or like oh my god Amber's been through so much and I'm like please just don't I think all trauma Mm -hmm. is really really fucking valid Mine is valid in this particular way. It's not a contest, Mm -hmm. y'all. So if any clients do hear me talk about my abusive childhood and feel some kind of way, um, no, (laughs) like it's fine. (laughs) You can keep feeling traumatized by whatever has traumatized you. It is all good. I, I mean, I'd say 10 years ago, I couldn't even say it. Like I couldn't even think it. Mm. I did not think about it. These are not retrieved memories. I always knew it happened to me. I just did not think about it. I didn't start thinking about it until I had a child. And then it started coming up for me. And I started um, my first round of psychotherapy when I was like 22. And then I shoved it way back down. And then it really started to come out in grad school because therapy training requires you to look at your shit. And I'm, I'm really grateful, but that's been really hard. There's been a lot of vulnerable moments. Like one that really sticks out still is a girl in class saying, it's weird to know that about you. Like it was weird to know about my abuse history. Fuck that. I know. I unfriended her on Instagram. I was like, no girl, like that's what we're here to talk about. But just to say like, it's, it's um it's a coming out process. There are yeah. very big parts of my story I haven't even talked about in therapy because yeah. it makes me feel like I am going to disintegrate. So I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to not keep his secrets anymore. Yeah. I'm done keeping both of their secrets. Like I had to keep this a secret so mm-hmm. that everything would just stay in balance. I couldn't say anything. Um I tried when I was little and I wasn't believed, which is another big thing that happens to survivors is like we try to get help and we don't get helped. I am, I just, I need to be the parent to myself that I deserved and now is the time. Yeah. We always deserve being believed and loved and a really beautiful thing about getting professional help to sort through the feelings is that they're going to validate you because Mm -hmm. they have been trained to understand the nuance and 
you know, you mentioned like when you're in that situation, you don't really feel alive. And I know that in my own experience of sexual assault, I very much felt like a ghost during. And then when I think about it, when I tell the story of that, which I don't share a lot, um, but I always feel like a ghost telling the story. I kind of feel like I wasn't really there. I kind Mm -hmm. of feel like I was there, but it's like you're in this different dimension where other people aren't listening to you. So it's a really confusing place to be. And I think having the structure of like kind of making that into a fairy tale, you Mm -hmm. know, not with like a fairy tale ending necessarily, but making it into something magical and giving it descriptors like a skin or a fucking seal, you know, going through caves. It's so empowering. And um, I'm really excited that you're going to be diving into a lot of these different myths in your new Patreon content. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I I want to um, first like thank all the listeners for holding my trauma. Like I'm aware um, that talking about this stuff is activating for people. And I'm also aware that the only way to integrate trauma is in an activated state. So also you're welcome. Like if you, if you, (laughs) if you resonate with what I'm saying, then I hope that I'm giving you a gift. Like I hope my work can be your work too. Mm. Um, watching other people work through their shit has helped me. So, um, mm -hmm. that aside, yeah, I want to talk about myths as much as possible. So the way that I've come to this is like, I started putting out like a little video. I did two of them called Liminal Wisdom and I like them. Like, I think I'm smart and pretty and that's fine. <laughs> but mostly the the way I was producing that content, like just little sip snippets of like insights, which is fine. I thought that like, that's what I should be doing. Like I should, like, this is what everyone else is doing. I should be doing that. I want to stay relevant, <laughs> etc. But I didn't like it. I was like, I don't, like this. I just want to talk about mythology. (laughs) And my career honestly has been better served by me doing whatever the fuck I want. Like the reason I got like whatever the fuck I want and not worrying about what the fuck anyone else is saying or doing. Like I became a drama therapist because I was in the circus for God's sakes. You know, like I'm into my own path. So I am going to launch a mini podcast, probably 10 or 15 minutes long, um, every week called self as myth, where I'm going to talk about one particular myth, and then I'm going to link it with psychological processes and trauma narratives and and what the symbolism is, right? And kind of take like a Jungian archetypal perspective on different mythology. And the first one I'm going to release next week is going to be about Medusa. Mm. My snake Gorgon. <laughs> I love yeah. her. Yeah, me too. Oh, I'm so excited for this. I'm excited to listen because this is a project that you're doing on your own for our patrons. Um, And I'm going to be thinking about my specialty, which is Mm -hmm. creating self-homework. You know, I'm a big fan of the workbooks that I make and journaling prompts. So I'm probably going to try to pair some of that with your content Mm because it is... mm delicious. Well, we should. That's a good idea. Great. That's what we're doing. 
All right. Well, we decided on that. Okay, cool. So <laughs> there is a fuckload more valuable content coming to our Patreon this week, which means that if you sign up for the witch tier or above, you will have access to not only extra long cuts of our episodes, but also an entirely extra podcast as well as self work prompts. We love our patrons. We love them. I'm even going to, I think, like experiment with sound effects. I'm excited. Ooh. Like, ooh, can there be rain in the background for this part? Maybe a crackling that. fire. Ooh. <laughs> Some like sulky ASMR. Yeah. Or like. Just feel screaming. So, ah! Yeah. Just. Well, we touched a little bit on the things that happen when we fall asleep and our subconscious. And next week we are going to go even further into that because we're going to have the amazing witch mint fairy who you might know from YouTube or their amazing Instagram. Uh, and we are going to talk about lucid dreaming because mint has an extensive history has been lucid dreaming, um, with the guidance of professionals, like basically their whole life after a childhood of like terrible nightmares, they really learned how to harness the power of their dreams. And, Ooh, if y'all want to get ready for it, I recommend going and checking out their YouTube channel, looking at their lucid dreaming videos. And you might just see me on there talking about some breakup magic. Um, but we are so excited to welcome to them the podcast. You know, we've been trying to get them on here for a while. So oh, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be so good. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you to everybody who has been leaving new reviews on Apple Podcasts. Selena on Valentine's Day said, duh, best podcast on my tablet out of 33. Love the banter, amusement of ideas, and plain old vibe. So fun and intelligent. And then a bunch of emojis. Cute. I didn't even see that one yet. Fun. Fuck yeah. We, we love a good review and it helps us get seen. So please, if you haven't yet, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to sign up for our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash pocket coven and give us a follow on Instagram to see what we're up to. Pocket Coven Podcast. Fantastic. Mm. Uh, we didn't say what the bonus content is yet. Oh shit. We sure it, didn't. We waited way too long. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> if they made it this far, <laughs> that's true. Uh, <laughs> the bonus content this week is silky magic. So if you want to hear us talk about some purification, some restoring, some seal slickness, Join us on Patreon. Nice job, Kylie. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>